The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And it doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Do not try to keep up with the Joneses. Get them down to your level. It's cheaper. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here. This is The Doctor Is In. This is the variant of Monday E-Person. Monday. Notice that I don't say email Monday, and there's a reason for that. I'm really working hard at being linguistically sensitive, you know, changing all the words that we used to use, you know. Sometimes some of these songs, when they refer to God in the male voice, oh boy, we're so enlightened, we have to change God into just God, right? I've seen the word our Lord's name, God, repeated as God and not He because we're sensitive. That's right. All righty. I'm going to get to some of your E persons here momentarily. How quick are you to think that something is a blessing or a curse? Is it safe to say that you don't really know if something is going to turn out to be a blessing or a curse? I've talked to so, so many parents. I just got a letter from a mom and a dad who had a little guy, a little guy with severe genetic disorder, severe, severe. Poor little guy's over a year old now and still can barely hold his head up. And the letter said what a blessing he is in their lives. Now I know that when they discovered this, understandably, they were just rocked. Their world was rocked. And if somebody would have told them, well, I think you'll come to see this as a blessing because of who you are. A lot of people don't know. i got to understand that. A lot of people would say, no, it's not a blessing. It's awful, it's terrible, it's horrible, and it stays that way. But they see it as a blessing. They love their little guy deeply. How is that? I've seen things, for example, when we adopted our first son, uh, he was born with a complete cleft of the lip and palate. We're new, we're new parents. We finally got to adopt so excited this isn't the way it's supposed to start you know in fact he's going to have multiple multiple surgeries 
We used to have to pin him to his bed with his arms out. We used to have to sit him on the front room floor as we both fell asleep beside him at night because he just couldn't touch his face after a surgery. That young man's 36 years old. He loves the Lord. He's father of three. Very bright engineer. What a blessing he is in our lives. Oh, I wouldn't call it a curse when he was born, but it was certainly a, a shocking experience for new-time parents anyway. I remember when I came home from Cleveland Clinic, and they said that if you conceive children, get on the uh, afternoon talk shows because it's a miracle. My wife, who had always wanted to be a mom of two, three, four, five kids, if God permitted, was facing perhaps childlessness. She always just wanted to be a mom. Was that a curse? Well, I don't know if you want to call it a curse if you want to use that word, but it was certainly a major life disappointment, wouldn't you say? Who would have known that 12 years later, we had 10 kids in that house? Now there was the problem. <laughs> you don't know. You cannot see ahead enough to say what you immediately thought was a life-jarring event became one of the most warm, wonderful things in your life. Oh, yes. There are things that are life-jarring events and, and stay that way. Loss of a loved one, serious illness, true. But much of what happens to us, for example, the loss of a job. I've talked to so many people who have said, I lost my job and it was the most devastating thing in the world. And it's two years later and I'm in a job I love three times as much with more money. And it's just a beautiful employment situation. They didn't see that. All they saw was when they lost their job, it was the end of their employment happiness. Similarly, when you think something really, really good has happened to you, and then it turns out to be a major, major frustration or disappointment, that happens all the time. It's part of not knowing what the future holds, not knowing what will turn out to be positive or negative. You can't know because you can't see. Somebody asked me once, would you want to see the future? I said, absolutely not. Well, Dr. Ray, that sounds kind of contradictory to what you've just been saying. Only in the sense that if you see the future and something turns sour, turns bad, well, obviously, because we're human, we'd, we'd spend until that time fretting and worrying about it and anticipating its ugliness. be horrible. Now, on the other hand, the benefit might be when things happen that are seriously disappointing and frustrating in our lives, and you look three years from now and you say, wow, not only did that resolve itself, it turned out for the good. True. But my answer is predicated on knowing what we're like as humans. 
we tend to focus on the negative. It's part of fallen human nature. It's why we're attracted to things that are negative. Sadly so, but that is the way it is. Look at the news media. Nothing but negative stuff. Why? Because they know people listen and watch. If they tell you that something really, really good has happened, okay, well, that's they might sprinkle that story in just for a little bit, but the rest of the time, they're going to tell you how awful it all is. So, always keep in mind, whatever happens to you that you think is a major life shock or even just a disappointment, You don't know what it's going to be like five years from now. I have had folks tell me that their son or their daughter has had a child out of wedlock. And, of course, it just rocked their world. But five years later, that son or that daughter is beautifully married. And that little grandchild is the light of everybody's life. Well, at the time that it happened, you said to yourself, what is this? I don't want it to go this way. This is not how I plan becoming a grandparent. But then, it smoothed out. Keeping in mind that you can't predict the future, and people of faith, with prayers, with grace, can accept that down the road, this may all not only work out, but this may work out for the good. You can't know what appears to be a blessing or what appears to be a curse. You can't know. Now, this is not to say you, you look at your blessings and go, well, I don't even want to look at them as blessings because who knows? It could turn out sour. No, you're probably wise to be grateful for the blessing as it appears for the moment. Perhaps my manalog is more geared toward realizing that what appears to be an unacceptable life circumstance oftentimes becomes one of the best things that ever happened to you in time. I've used this example before. When I was at Case Institute of Technology in engineering my first year, second semester for my second what they called departmental exam. We only had three departmental exams. I got a 31 in physics. You can't recover from a 31. I don't care what you get on your next test. First test, I got a 92 or something. I thought, okay, I guess I like this physics stuff. Well, for whatever the reason, I wasn't grasping some of the stuff, the material in that second test. I knew I did bad. But when that came back as a 31, I thought, okie dokie, didn't realize I did that bad. And this was before they gave you A's for putting your name on your paper. So I had to drop out of physics. And ultimately, I dropped out of engineering. Now what? That's what I thought I was going to do. My career. Boy, what a disappointment. I'm not suited for this. What do I do? Well, I guess I, I major in something. 
prepare for maybe law school. That's what I'll do. I'll prepare for law school. Yeah, yeah, right. I want to be a lawyer. And then my senior year, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if I'm cut out to be a lawyer. Let me try this psychology stuff. And lo and behold, I am where I am now with you. Now, I don't want to say it's totally because of a 31 on my physics exam. But that was the breaking point in my nascent career as an engineer. Turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life at the time. <laughs> it's a major league curse. Ah, when we come back, I'm diving into the E-persons. This is Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I said to the churches one day, what do you think you're going to look like in heaven? Oh, some of them had absolutely magnificent ideas. I didn't think of one of them. So I got desperate because then my turn came. I didn't know what to say. And so in desperation, I said, what do you think I'll wear in heaven? And they all said with one voice, armor. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. I'll tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. Get annoyed if your neighbor is playing music real loud at 2 a.m. Just don't do that. Just call him at 4 a.m. and tell him how much you enjoyed it. That's all. This is Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday. See what we got here. Our 25-year-old son is dating with intent to marry a woman at work. She has, and these are 
dad's words, a speckled family background. She broke up with a previous two-year live-in situation to date our son. Although they are not cohabitating, they are spending all their waking hours together. Our son encouraged her to complete RCIA in order to be confirmed. Well, perhaps she was probably raised Catholic, reading between the lines here. He was hoping to win our approval. He wants us to accept this person into our family with hugs and smiles. We have resisted in hopes to discourage him from being yoked to someone of questionable spiritual maturity. A lot of prayer and counseling went into our youngest, who now seems to be discarding all of it for his first and only serious relationship. Is it okay to keep her at arm's length while encourage him to dating to date others? Well, first of all, let's go back to about sentence number three. Hoping, hoping to discourage him from being yoked to someone. I've almost never seen that work. Where we say, well, I'm going to resist welcoming this person that our adult child is dating into our lives and our family because... Now, now again, let me qualify... There are extreme situations where you where you can't. I mean, this is a person, maybe a felon or heavy into drugs and alcohol. Okay, got that. But someone that by and large you you just have a hard time either liking or you recognize that they do have behavioral, emotional struggles. Okay, got that. Immaturity. Certain things you see in them that you would hope for more for your adult child. Okay. Almost never do I see if you resist this person, does that push away your son or your daughter from them? Okay, let me qualify that. I did have somebody call here on the show a couple months back that essentially said I broke up because my parents didn't approve. Now, with that said... They did, uh, they did a, I don't want to call it a study, probably a survey once, where they found that the best predictor of how a relationship would turn out was the, the girlfriends, plural, girlfriends, opinion of the guy that their girlfriend was dating. In other words, they had a girlfriend, she's dating a guy that uh, they think is bad news, she doesn't want to listen, and it turns out that they're right far more often than not. And the other thing, too, and this is another qualification, parents are oftentimes right far more often than not than these young adults are. However, in this case, it sounds like the son is flat out not going in any way to leave this girl. 
says they spend all their waking moments together. So you're in a situation where basically you got to welcome her. But Dr. Ray, if we welcome her, he'll be happy, he'll be content, then he'll say everything's fine, and then he'll go marry her. Well, the question becomes, will he marry her anyway? And that's highly, highly, highly likely. And then you're going to deal with her feeling that you, in the very beginnings of their relationship, were just hostile or or at the very least resistant. And you don't think that'll affect her attachment to you? And what about Gregkins? She says, you know, I can't relate to your parents. I never could relate to your parents. They didn't like me from the beginning. I don't know. I don't like being around them. Let's move away. Let's not let them see the grandkids. I mean, that does happen a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So I guess what I'm saying is, Dad, you can probably only lose by not welcoming her and attempting to love her as best you can, given that her history isn't the best. But I will tell you this. I've seen a lot of folks with a history like that who who have come around. I know if, if I opened up these phone lines, it wasn't E-Person Monday, but it was called in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If I opened up these phone lines, people would call in and say, oh, absolutely, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law now is the most wonderful person in the world. And I'll tell you, when they first started dating my son or daughter, I was so scared. I was so reluctant. I just thought, come on, break up, please, break up, please. So... Doesn't mean that can't happen here. You said, is it okay to keep her at arm's length while encouraging him to date others? Well, I got to believe you've already encouraged him to date others. You've already expressed your your reservations, your reluctancies, your qualifications. You've already expressed all that. I don't, I don't doubt that. And clearly, that's not moving him. So now what do you do? Well... I guess you can keep doing that, and all that will happen is you will probably see less and less of him and less and less of her. On the other hand, if you become warm and she sees that his faith-filled Christian parents are good people who welcome her and love her and, and don't have all their reluctancies about who she is, it may warm her up. She may say, you know what, I do, I do kind of want to be part of that family, and I, li- I like the way they are, and I, and I want to be more like that. What other option do you have? That's the, that is the conundrum that many parents face when their kid, their adult kid, is dating someone that they are nervous about and that they are even fearful about in some respects, but there is absolutely no sign that that adult offspring is going to give up that relationship. None. So all that happens is when they resist it, they lose their offspring too. It isn't a matter of, okay, well, gee, maybe I've just got the wrong person because my mom and dad really don't approve. That That is, as I said just a a rare mindset far more often it is one of well okay you don't accept her i probably won't come around as much because she doesn't want to come around because she knows how you think of her and the other issue 
is not a matter of him having any doubts. He apparently, from just what you've written here, has no doubts at all about this is the one. As he sees it, this is the one. We're going to get married, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to convince her to, to become fully Catholic. That's good. That's good. So, Dad, I would say that all your counseling and all your prayers has had some effect. I mean, he, he's trying to bring her along with him spiritually but he recognizes that that may be something that's going to take a little bit of time in the meantime gotta love her as best you can Sanctity is not an outgrowth of a person's political opinions. Sainthood is about the demonstration of heroic virtue, and that has virtually nothing to do with a person's politics. Not all political views are equally good, but whatever your political view, you can be a saint. Because being a saint doesn't mean that you have all your intellectual opinions perfectly formed. It means you have been purged of disordered self-love, and you have put on Christ. The late Cardinal George used to say, the church is not conservative or liberal. The church is Catholic. Dorothy Day, was she conservative or liberal? Oscar Romero, conservative or liberal? St. John Paul II, conservative or liberal? We have a different agenda, even when it comes to the social order. But our primary agenda is sainthood. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The third commandment: Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. You know, of all the commandments, it might seem that we would get this one right. After all, it commands us to rest one day. But so often we're off to our own pursuits. God asks us to take one day to stop, reflect, rejoice, spend time with Him and with our family. But so often we're running everywhere else. It's also a day for worship. The book of Leviticus says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest and a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath of the Lord. And the book of Hebrews says that we should not neglect to meet together, as is a habit of some. And so again, we're asked by God to spend time reflecting and worshiping, and likewise spend time with our family. The third commandment. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Thanks for joining me here, Dr. Ray Grandy. Program Doctor is in. My producer man, Andrew Krucek. Co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Some 400 to 500 stations all over the place. As well as Sirius Satellite Channel 130. Uh, used to be my cue, but 
Now it's I don't think I can reach 130 anymore. But uh, that, that children, the average child takes away four IQ points, and you don't ever recover even after they head out on their own. Um, also, Ave Maria Radio Communications uh, cooperates with EWTN. One thing neat about Catholic media is with the technology, many people listen on apps. Many people listen. I mean, EWTN has an app, so if you're not anywhere near an affiliate, you can still listen on that app. Uh, there's so many, so many ways to listen. There's absolutely anybody with a smartphone can listen. It's that easy, that simple. This is E-Person Monday. Let me get to it. Dr. Ray, if I understood you from an earlier program, you indicated that those who are transgender affirmed, whether surgical or chemical, have a mortality rate that is three times the average. Let me let me. I want to go further in what he said before I correct that. But I want to go further in what he said because it's going to answer his question better. He says, I think the U.S. mortality rate is around 10%, which makes the transitioning population have a mortality rate of 30%. Okay, let me... Uh, there are long-term studies indicating that any kind of gender affirmation through hormonal changes with minors results in a mortality rate three times the average. Now, he said that the U.S. mortality rate is around 10%. Yeah, but we're talking a specific population here. So the mortality rate, I don't know what it is. The mortality rate, uh, kids 10 to 17, I have no idea. Uh, I'm sure Andrew can look it up for me, but it's very low. It's very low. I mean, it's very, you know, probably one in 10,000. So three times that has to be that. It doesn't, it isn't three times the national average, which includes an awful lot of us old folk. Now, Further, I have heard that over 80% of teens with gender dysphoria revert back to their biological, and he says gender, biological sex. Gender is the mindset that says this is what I believe I am. It's higher than that. I've seen 93%. Uh, the vast majority, if either getting counseling or allowed to, to in essence, work through some of this confusion, uh, return to identifying in their mind as their biological sex. If this is true, and most deaths are attributed to suicide, now this is where I get a little confusing, out of a population of 30 transitioning individuals who likely committed suicide, 24 of those would not have traditioned nor committed suicide had not been for these social pressures. Just checking my understanding in math. Uh, there was a study out of Sweden. Reported this before. It should be a study that everybody knows about. And in fact, almost no one knows about. Where they followed up several thousand post-sex reassignment surgeries for 10 years. What they found was... The suicide rate in Sweden 
is 1.6% nationally. All right. So that's still very, very high. I mean, you're talking about almost two people out of 100 committing suicide. That's sky high. However, they found that of those who transitioned and had the full sex reassignment surgery, 10-year follow-up, 32% committed suicide. So that really raises questions about, one, not only did many of them not come to the conclusion that this was something good that will, will, will reduce their anxiety or their depression or their confusion or what, whatever it was in their minds that said, this is who I am in my mind, but it also... It also says that the 10-year follow-up is necessary because therapists will tell you, researchers will tell you, people who observe this phenomenon will tell you that there is a period immediately after the surgery where the person is reasonably content really happy, fulfilled with what they did, and that, in fact, they have now found their true self, and this is all good, and this is partly cited by people. But you have to follow it up longer to find out what will be the full ramifications of it. So, in fact, hopefully I corrected some of the math on that. There are a lot of questions that need to be asked surrounding the transgender movement, uh, one of which has been a complete flip-flop. Gender confusion, by and large, was the domain of boys, especially young boys, early on in life. Gender identity disorder, as it was once called. Now it is overwhelmingly adolescent girls. They are the ones who express the most confusion. And right now the percentage is 2% of adolescents say that they are trans. Uh, Ten years ago, the identified was 0.01%, 1 in 10,000. Now you've got 1 in 50. So I think it's legitimate to ask, is something going on? And given that adolescent girls are much, much more likely to take in social media and to be involved in all that that is the drama and the influence of social media, is that a factor? And there was research coming out of Brown University by a woman who essentially said, yes, we've got to look at the social factors involved in this. So, I am hoping that we will start to look at the complete picture. Dr. Ray.
Daily Connection with Teresa Tomio. Suffering in the world, personal suffering. One of the biggest things that keeps people from really giving themselves over to the Lord or joining an organized religion. Suffering doesn't seem to make sense. Why do children suffer? Why are there wars? Why is there persecution? Why are some people poor, others rich? Why is there such an imbalance? And on and on and on. A loving God wouldn't do that. Well, God doesn't do that. First of all, we did it to ourselves because in the beginning, right, we chose incorrectly. And then sin came into the world. It was not supposed to be like this, but God gives us free will. He does not want to force himself on us because otherwise we would be puppets. But how many of us can look back and forget what came out of a particular hard time? You don't learn really good, strong lessons when everything is going great. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. What is meditative prayer? The Catholic Catechism defines meditative prayer as, above all, a quest. The mind seeks to understand the why and how of the Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. Since the required attentiveness is difficult to sustain, we are aided by books such as Sacred Scripture, especially the Gospels, holy icons, liturgical texts of the day or season, and writings of the spiritual fathers. If we meditate on what we read, we make it our own. If we are humble and faithful in meditation, we discover in meditation the movements that stir the heart, enabling us to discern those movements. We are asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? There are as many methods of meditation as there are spiritual masters. The Catechism urges us to develop the desire to meditate regularly. All meditation should advance us to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. In the supposed words of Yogi Berra, that catcher from the New York Yankees way back, never answer an anonymous letter. And Yogi Berra was kind of the St. Francis of the baseball world because all kinds of uh, Yogi Berra-isms have been attributed to him, just like all kinds of things have been attributed to St. Francis, which he probably didn't say, or Abraham Lincoln. Because I know I read something that Lincoln said. And this is fascinating to me. I saw it on the internet. He said, Lincoln said, don't trust everything that you see on the internet. Which I think is good, good advice from Abe. Dr. Ray, during my mother's final months, I traveled several times a week by car to help her with her care. Those trips gave me the opportunity to listen to your radio program on Sirius. A few months back, you gave an interesting explanation of dreams. Yeah, you know, when you're a psychologist, you're interested in dreams and in rats. And then if you dream about rats, that's really bad. All right. Remarking that many dreams are a variation of events happening in our lives. Yes, happening or have happened in our lives. Dreams are bits and pieces of all kinds of stuff thrown together in a big blender. And they just hopscotch from scenario to scenario all over the place. And one of the neat things about dreams is sometimes you get to see your loved ones in your dream. 
Which means, of course, that somewhere up in your neural connections is a picture of those loved ones. However the brain works to conjure up that picture, it's up there. All right, I'll talk about that in a minute. And then you recounted a recurring dream that you have. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's when I gripped the steering wheel. Your description of a dream in which you are very anxious because you are not prepared for or have had poor attendance in a college class was identical to one of my two recurring dreams. Marianne, I'll tell you, that's a common dream of a lot of people who went to college. A lot. You and I are not the only ones. And then she says, I felt as if I had found my doppelganger of the dream world. Too funny. (laughs) Yeah, I cannot tell you the relief I feel after waking up from some dreams, especially those. It's like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm just, I'm not ready. I'm not ready at all on a dream like that. So, so given that, I wake up and it's like, oh, ah. I had a dream. Oh, let's see, when was it? I, I guess. The rule of when something happened in the past that my cousin told me is a good rule. However long ago you think it happened, double it. That's more likely when it happened. So I was going to say I had this dream about a year ago. Uh, It's probably been two, three, four years now. I was sitting in a kitchen I didn't recognize. But the closest thing I could think of was in my Nana Maria's, my Aunt Mary's, my great Aunt Mary's, my grandfather's sister, kitchen. She lived by herself for many, many years, died at age 96. I was sitting in her kitchen just by myself and my dad walked in. Now my dad had been dead for years but it was Pop. I mean it was exactly Pop. I said, Dad, what are you doing here? He goes, hi, Raim. I said, Dad, can I hug you? Sure. We're Italians. We hug a lot. And I gave Pop the biggest hug And then he was gone. And it was a wonderful dream. And and the interesting thing about dreams is you you do not remember (laughs) probably 99% of them. You don't remember them. You dream. You don't wake up during them. You don't wake up shortly after them. You don't remember them. They're gone. And even the ones that you remember that next morning, within a week, they're gone. But I'll never forget that one with Pop. I had a dream recently with my mom. My mom's passed away two years ago. Mom was there. We were back at our house that I grew up in. I forgot what we were doing. Mom was probably cleaning something. Who knows? But you're right. Now, the old misconception about dreams is that if you fall and you hit the ground, if you're falling from a height, you hit the ground, you're, that means you're dead. That's crazy. That's not true. It's, as Abraham Lincoln said, it's an internet legend, so ignore that one. But I found it was fascinating because my image of my dad was exactly what he looked like in his healthier last days. 
he was dad. He was probably in his 70s, but he was healthy. He hadn't gotten sick the last year or two of his life. It was Pop, and he was vigorous. And somewhere up, somewhere up in my head structure was the image of my father up there, just like the image of my mother in my most recent dream. Fascinating things, aren't they? It's where God uses them to give people instructions like he did to St. Joseph. Get out of town. Herod wants to kill the baby. I'll be right back, Dr. Ray. All the advice, none of the bills. Come in. The doctor is in. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. Does your brain appreciate stained glass for more than its beauty? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Early Christians couldn't read or write for the most part. Stained glass windows placed in newer church buildings became Bible teachers. These beautiful works of art inspired and highlighted various Bible stories. According to a study from the University of Waterloo, it isn't just our ancient relatives who enjoyed the symbolism of Christian art. Our brains prefer symbols to words. I know, I'm a visual thinker. Let's face it, we can learn from symbols and we can remember more about what we have seen according to the research. Solid visuals can also help us understand abstract concepts. Maybe you relate to visual thinking too. Catholics often practice Visio Divina, praying with or focused on art. Think of how an illustrated children's Bible makes the job of explaining Holy Scripture and God's plan for us so much easier. For more on this, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Dog, Delta, he's a Rottweiler. She's worried about the economy uh, because her uh, big bag of 40-pound bag of dog food went up $4. And I may not sound much, but that's $28 in dog money. Okay, let's get this last e-person in here on this e-person Monday. Hi, Dr. Ray. 82% of all females who send an e-person started out that way. Our oldest girl lives independently. That's good. Has a great job. One she likes. And can 
mostly pay her bills. <laughs> mostly. But seems to always, capital always, you can't read that, but it's capitalized, always be living in dire straits financially. We don't help her with her bills in any way, but we do see her struggling. In our opinion, she spends a lot of money on things she doesn't need and ends up broke every pay cycle. She's a very independent young lady, and I think there are some root issues at play here. But the bottom line is, I want her to help her help herself. I need a roadmap, a book of something. We pray for her every day. She has a knee-jerk reaction sometimes when I talk to her about serious stuff, and so I want to maximize the chances of getting her to understand that I want to help her any ideas. Now, before I give my general before I give my general response to why this is so true among so many of our younger people, I want to read to you what I wrote very briefly. Dear Mom, if she doesn't want to hear your advice and hasn't asked for it, you're probably just causing more problems by giving it. She's a grown-up, and if she spends her money poorly, the best teacher will probably be struggling for necessities. Now, that's what I said. She wrote back. <laughs> she goes, thanks, Dr. Ray. I just heard my dad. <laughs> hey, when people refer to me as her dad. Hopefully from heaven say, quote, unsolicited advice, unsolicited advice is the worst. Well, let me address the statement of there are root causes. Okay. She works. She's single. She likes her job. She makes money. So why does she handle her money so poorly? Well, I think a common mindset now among younger adults is I want what I want. I want to have fun things. I want to have good things. Uh, and... I will get them impulsively. I will buy them maybe because I think they will give me happiness, momentary contentment. contentment. And, uh, yeah, the other stuff, the responsible bills, well, they'll, they'll eventually probably get done maybe, sort of, kind of. Because if you look at the statistics, heavy, heavy, heavy credit card debt. We're living off credit cards. Young people very much so. Got a trillion dollars in credit card debt right now. That's never been that high in the history of credit cards. Two, and I see this in the young adults I know, they spend a lot of money on their momentary wants. I want that. Keeping in mind that up to maybe a couple generations ago, most adults in the U.S. even had to, had to work hard to make it. They didn't have the, the things that we now take as necessities, which would have been considered wild luxuries once upon a time. Whole house air conditioning, it's a necessity. Car air conditioning, it's a necessity. Larger homes, 
My parents bought a home 1,300 square feet, and they lived in it until they died. Bought it when they were newlyweds. Not now. Come on. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that as the expectation for higher materialistic living has grown so much in the last couple of generations, not unusual to see young people mishandling their money, not paying some of the bills they should pay until they absolutely have to or until they can duck them because they want an iPhone 14. I mean, ew, can't expect them to keep this iPhone 11. Oh, so that's what happens. Um, in some respects, the prices of some things have come down. Big screen TVs have come down, so they can get a 62-inch big screen TV, which would have been unthinkable in my parents' day. Even if they were available, it would have been unthinkable to buy something that big because it was too expensive. So given that, I, I don't think it's unusual to see a young adult not handle their money well. And some of them learn. Some of them realize, I better pay these bills because they can turn off my electricity. They can shut my phone. So to the degree that there will be real-world immediate consequences for bad financial decisions, okay, then they'll be forced into acting a little more responsibly. But to the degree, for example, they don't pay a doctor bill, and they get notices, and they ignore them, why? Because they went out to eat last night, and that was $72, and they like to go out to eat. Or think about this. This has always fascinated me. They have food delivered to their house. Now, eating out is already more expensive than cooking at home, but then you add <laughs> you add the delivery because I don't want to go get it. Just bring it to me. That's expensive, but yet they do it. The young people do it. So because of that, they have certain priorities that they indulge themselves in. And because of that, many of them at age 40 still don't have any assets. They don't have savings. They certainly don't have the money for a down payment for a house. So as a result, what happens is they constrict their ability to actually live more solidly materially because they lived fluffily materially. Yeah, I think that's a, a common byproduct of having grown up relatively materially comfortable. I know that sounds like heresy when everybody's saying how materially, economically bad we have it, but comparatively to two generations ago or to much of the rest of the world, we still materially are very well off. Dr. Ray, thanks for joining me here. Good Lord permitting, I'll see you tomorrow. Walk with God. You don't have to be rich to do that. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.